DMT Media and Audio Boom. This is the Dead Man Talking Podcast with me, Alex Hannaford. If you listened to last week's Q&A, you'll know that this is the final episode from us, for now anyway. You'll also know that we've got a special podcast today with someone who knew Arnhel Resendiz and got in touch with me via email after listening to Dead Man Talking. Bobby Blanton worked as a corrections officer on death row and he happened to work at the Polunsky unit at the same time that Angel Resendiz was housed there. In his email, Bobby told me some things that I didn't previously know, like the fact that Resendiz would have periods of pretty aggressive behaviour where he'd cause injury to himself and rip up his belongings. And Bobby also wrote that he would ask Resendiz if he was going to act up and that he was always honest about whether he was or not. As you'll hear, he's got a lot to say about dealing with him. And what's especially interesting to me is that he had some strong views on the confessions Resendiz had made on that tape. So let's get into it. This is Bobby Blanton talking to me a couple of days ago. You'd listened to the podcast, which is why you, you, you dropped me an, an email and got in touch. And you did it because you you wanted to tell me one thing, and that was specifically about this the case of Diamantina Colahaco and Andres Mascara, who are in, currently in prison. Just remind, just tell the listeners what you, why you got in touch with me. Well, you know, I just basically, it was a short, you know, pretty short paragraph. And I just said that I've enjoyed the podcast, that I worked there for a while. I, I knew him, that as far as I knew, this guy never lied. I mean, even to the point of screwing himself out of showers and recreation and sometimes food, he still wouldn't lie. And if he says he did that crime and was actually described some of the house, I mean, the guy probably did it. I don't believe he ever lied to me or anybody else that I know of. He was a straightforward, blunt, said what he thought was, you know, said the truth. And you were saying in the email, you got, you felt like you got to know him pretty well because you've seen these people every day, day in, day out. I knew him very well. I mean, I was either on E-Pod or F-Pod every day, and Resendez pretty much stayed on F-Pod, which is level three, you know, the least amount of property, the least amount of visits, the least amount of uh, recreation. I mean, they pretty much only shower Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I mean, they don't get much. Just describe to me, when you talk about how you went to the cell and said to him, okay, it's time for your shower, are you going to act up? What would acting up have looked like? And you know this because he did it many times with you in the past. Most of the time, Resendez was quiet. He followed the rules. He would go literally months. You would have zero problems out of him. It was nothing but yes, no. Yes, I want to shower. No, I don't want to shower or whatever. But whenever he would have one of these spells or you know, chemical imbalance in his brain or whatever would go on and he would snap. I mean, he was hard to deal with for several days, banging his head on the wall, cutting the top of his head. I seen another time, I mean, he cut his, he cut his left arm and they bandaged it up and then he started biting his left arm and his freaking whole mouth was all blood. And I mean, you know, biting his own self. I mean, when he would snap, I mean, he snapped. Was he a threat to you guys as well? Would he attack the guards, the, the corrections officers? He never attacked us as far as like out of the cell, like trying to kick us or anything like that, that I know of. There's been a couple times where he wouldn't come out of the cell and we had to suit up and go in and 
get him out of the cell. As far as I know, he never actually kicked or hit an officer. From what I'd read and from what Resendez told me, he would have these spells and these blackouts, these sort of blackouts, if you like, when he said the world went um, blue-gray at the moment of murder. So he'd described these spells uh, before. And what you were saying was he was essentially a model prisoner for a m- months on end. He was very quiet and did as he was told and was obedient when it came to following directions from corrections officers. But then he would have these spells with you too in prison. Yeah, he would just snap. And you don't know when it's coming, but when he snaps, he it's it's he you gotta deal with him because it's it's for real. He's what not faking, believe me. So that's interesting. Okay, I want to know more about this because I found, you know, obviously when I was sitting face to face with him, I experienced the quiet resendies, the one that I thought, how on earth can this is this guy capable of doing what he did because he's so small and diminutive and quiet and actually polite, but you experienced him flying into a rage. And I want to know what that, what that looked like. Blank expression, blank stare, just nothing but action. And, you know, I was raised uh, in the Baptist church and, you know, I ain't going to say possession, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I've, seen somebody possessed but i guarantee you a lot of people that are christians and believe a little bit more strongly than i would would use that word because something would snap and he would literally i mean he was he was gone he was out there so you're going in and you're trying to get him out the cell to go for a shower or for for whatever uh, recreation they get one hour's recreation a day and this is when he flew into the the rage. Can you can you describe sort of what that actually physically looked like? What you know, what you were doing and what he was doing? Banging his head on the cell, throwing stuff all over the cell. If he was in cuffs, whenever that would happen, I mean, you'd have a use of force. You'd have to get him to the ground. But uh, it's crazy. It's like nothing. He's the only one that out of all the offenders that I ever dealt with that. You wouldn't really even know why this was happening. Most all the other inmates would complain about this or that. And you could see the uh, aggression kind of building up because they're losing their patience a little more and a little more. But whenever it would be with Resendez, you wouldn't even know it was coming. And he was flying out of control. And did he remember it afterwards? I really don't know if he did. I never asked him if he, do you remember doing this or whatever do you remember us having to suit up a team and come in this cell to get you but the days following one of those uh and this would last two or three four days sometimes and then he would go back to the quiet inmate but the days following the incident or whatever if i was working on his pod i would ask him you know are you gonna give me any trouble if i take you to the shower and he would either say yes or no i mean he was even even though no he knows if he says yes, he's not going to the shower. <laughs> and this wasn't just sort of one or two times. He would he would always do this, would he? He would always be honest about whether he was going to act up or not. Yes, sir. I'm stressing that as weird as it sounds, in his mind he could justify killing somebody, but he would not lie. And he wouldn't always say, Yes, I'm gonna act up. Sometimes no. he would start going off again and and, you know, you obviously can see you're going to have a problem, so you move on. 
But uh, yeah, he was. He would never say, "No, you ain't gonna have a problem out of me." And then you get him out of the cell, and then there's a problem. Are there any other examples you can give me of the honesty apart from the the ex- uh, extracting him from the cell and him being honest about whether he was going to act up or not? Not really offhand that I can think of. I mean, he really didn't talk very much at all. But when he did, it was it was straight up. It was, he, he didn't beat around the bush. Did you, did you ever have what we, what you would term a normal conversation with you about anything? Uh, we've had normal conversations like coming back from a media visit on Wednesday or whatever, you know, like who was that? Where were they from? Because a lot of, you know, media visits are from Europe and that kind of visits, but nothing about anything personal. One thing you, you said in the email, Bobby, was that you, you never found he bragged about, he, he wasn't bragging, not to, obviously not to the, to the, it would be unusual for him to do this to the corrections officers, but he didn't brag about his killings to other inmates. It wasn't like he was trying to be the most prolific serial killer and say, I, you know, take the blame for stuff that you didn't think he did. No, I, I've never heard him say, you know, uh, I've killed this many people, this and that, you know, I've never heard him say anything like that. He did say to me one time, me and my, my best friend, well, I, won't name, I won't put his name on, on this because he still works for the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. But uh, he said to us, you know, because it was one of the times that he was getting fairly close to being executed. And he, I think he had a date. And he said, uh, y'all think y'all are killers? I'm a real killer. There's a thousand ways to kill somebody. <laughs> and I mean, that's one of the few times that outside the uh, just one on basically two people in him that he basically kind of made a semi threat, semi kind of saying that he was a real killer and we weren't. Right. You didn't experience, I mean, you, you worked on death row. There was a lot of people who had done pr- some pretty nasty things, but you didn't. Did you ever get the same? type of threats from anybody else that or, or you thought anyone else on there was capable of doing what he did uh, to his level i mean the only other person i dealt with that doing anything to his level was tommy lynn sales i knew you were going to say that yeah sales uh, was a was another serial killer in fact i think yeah. at the time they were probably the only two serial murderers on death row in that space of time I think in in Texas yeah let's hear from one of our sponsors here's a timely statistic for you it probably won't surprise you at all that almost half of us make a new year's resolution every single year we've all made them and most of us have probably broken them It happens to the best of us, but one resolution worth sticking to this year, keeping your home and family safe. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe is 24-7 home security with no contracts or catches. They believe the safest place on earth should be your home, so you feel protected every time you shut your door and leave for work or shut your eyes at night. More than 3 million people already feel this way every day, thanks to Simply Safe. And they're not the only ones. The folks at PC Mag. Named Simply Safe both Editor's Choice and Reader's Choice for 2018. So 2019 feels like a good year to ask yourself, is my home as safe as it could be? And if you're thinking, well, maybe this is the year to change that, 
get Simply Safe. Just go to simplysafe.com slash DMT to get started. That's simplysafe.com slash DMT to protect your home and family today. When you checked on Resendiz in his cell, so there was no in, no interaction, you're just looking through, what would he normally do? Well, he'd either be reading his Bible or just sitting there staring. That was his two things. He never had much property. You know, he never had like that I ever seen a radio or a bunch of books or even commissary. He was pretty much, you know, basic essentials he justified what he did in terms of the murders because he felt he was this you know messenger from god that was doing this uh and fulfilling god's will but you also mentioned that uh, something about um something pretty nasty that he did to himself this self-mutilation thing do you want to tell me about that i can if you want to hear it uh it was late in the evening it was actually at uh shift uh shift change and uh me and my best friend, who the same guy that I said a while ago, and uh, our lieutenant, who is now a, a senior warden at the Michaels unit, heard a call come over the radio from the night shift. And we ran down there because I had just finished working down there all day on the F-Pod. And we got down there, and he was banging his head on the cell and had popped his head with a razor blade. And he had also been reading Genesis. and in the Bible and all the Jews in order to be, you know, purified or holy before God had to be circumcised and he wasn't. So he took it upon himself to take a razor blade and circumcise himself. I knew about this because, um, he told me this in the, in the, in the interview that he had done this and then, and then he stood up and said, would you like to see and started unbuttoning his prison overalls and i just told him to sit down no i didn't and he sat down and looked kind of i guess perplexed that i wouldn't want to see this <laughs> why on earth would i want to see that so you're but i never really i never knew until you emailed me a few days ago that the reason he had tried to mutilate himself was so that he could he was trying to circumcise himself because he wanted to be closer to god yes sir you know i actually did ask him that a couple days later like why the hell did you do that <laughs> that's the reason i want to talk a bit about your interaction with resendis one of the things you saw him do was send kites to um other inmates can you tell us what a, what kites are and what you read on those notes kite is a note that an inmate sends from you know from himself to another inmate uh and they'll take a string that they've made out of either tore up boxer shorts or you know, elastic out of the shorts or even sheets, and they'll put a weight on that string and, and tie that note to it, and then they'll, because there's a little small, like, four-by-four four hole at the bottom of their door, and they'll sling that uh, weight with that rope and the note down the runway, and another inmate will fish it into their cell and then get the note and read the note. And uh, I came through a crossover door one time and caught Resendez, uh, sending a note to Britt Ripkowski and I got the kite and I read it and he basically said that he was like the right hand of God and he was doing God's work by killing prostitutes, by killing homosexuals, by killing anybody that would har ever harm a kid and he 
honestly believed that he was doing God's work. And in his warped mind, uh, he could justify killing somebody like that. But yet at the same time, he needs to keep himself pure for God. And that's why I know that he, he the guy, I don't believe the guy would lie. I really don't. As bad as Resendez was in, 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 and as horrendous as the crimes that he committed were, you didn't think he was a liar. He was many things, but you didn't think he was a liar. Yeah, he's definitely a killer. He's definitely crazy, but he's not a liar. I don't believe so. You didn't see him trying to sort of say that he committed more or a larger number. I've never seen him do that. You know, that note is really the only time I've ever seen him say anything about why he justified what he'd done. But no, I've never seen him, you know, say a number of that I've killed this many people. I honestly believe even he does not know how many people he's killed. <laughs> mm. I guess this goes without saying, but working on death row, I mean, it takes its toll on you guys as well, on the corrections officers. It's, it takes a huge toll. I mean, I did it almost, total almost 10 years, about seven of my 10 years on death row. And uh, it, it is way, it's constant stress. And even when you're not there, it's still stress. And, and it gets to the point where on your off days, you dread going back on that first day back. I mean. Is this because of the, t- tell me some of the things that, that cause that. Is it the physical stuff that some of these inmates do? I mean, they're throwing um, bodily fluids at you, uh, the aggression. And I've had to take blood tests for six months, you know, every six months for years to make sure I didn't catch hepatitis C or, hep- you know, HIV even. I mean, it's constant. I mean, fighting, verbal abuse, the... You could walk around a corner and a spear hit you in the head. You mean somebody shooting blow darts out of a homemade blow dart gun. It is constant stress. And, you know, they say 25% of corrections officers have PTSD. And, and I would say that's probably an accurate number, but only the certain, whether it's because they don't put females down there on those worst pods. And they don't put older men down there on those worst pods. It's always the same six, seven, eight guys down there every day. And I would say probably out of those six, seven or eight guys that are down there every day, that number is probably 90% versus 25. Bobby, I, I really appreciate you um, dropping me that email. I, I, You know, I know it was a sort of, just a sort of brief thing um, that you probably thought we would just just have a couple of email exchanges, but I'm really glad that we ended up ch- chatting as well. All right, yeah. Bobby getting in touch and the things he had to say only reinforces what I now think about Resendez's confessions, that he was telling me the truth. So that really is all from me in this series of the Dead Man Talking podcast. Thanks for sticking with us over the last 16 episodes. It's been a hell of a journey. And with Proclaimed Justice and South Texas College of Law getting involved, there's more to come, I'm sure. Remember to check out our Facebook page for any progress. 
If you've enjoyed listening, please give us a nice review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell your friends about us. Before we finish though, me and Pete, the producer, just want to thank the team at Audio Boom for making this adventure possible and for looking after the commercial side of things. Special thanks to Ruth Fitzsimmons, Jeremy Helton, Robert Peterson and Stuart Last for all your help and to the advertising teams in New York and London. Thanks for listening. Dead Man Talking has been a production of DMT Media and Audio Boom. The show was presented by me, Alex Hannaford, and the producer and sound engineer was Peter Sale. Our theme song has been The Railroad by the band Goodnight Texas. And don't forget you can check them out at facebook.com forward slash goodnighttexas and keep up with what they've got going on. You can still join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Talking where you can follow any legal developments in the case. We'll also be tweeting at Deadman Podcast, and you can always email us at deadmantalkingpodcast at outlook.com. Until next time. Run for the fences, Riley. Yeah.